Welcome to this episode of the SportKite Podcast. I am your host, Nick O'Neill, founder of SportKite.org, and I want to thank you for tuning in and listening. In this episode, we're going to go ahead and talk about the rituals that you may do or that some kite flyers do when they're getting ready to go out and fly a sport kite, be it just for themselves or maybe they're going out and doing a demonstration or performance for the public or they're doing a competition. Some of these are just, uh, you know, mechanical based, making sure your gear is right. And some of these are somewhat emotional based, making sure your head is in the right space. Each person has a different approach to this, and hopefully you can learn something from it. And in this conversation, we do have Paul DeBacher, Hunter Brown, Zach Gordon, Devin Coblay Morrison, John McCracken and Spencer Watson joining in on the call. So I do hope you enjoy this episode and a big shout out to all of you that have become supporters at buymeacoffee.com slash sportkite. It is through your patronage that we have been able to keep this podcast alive and going for the last year and it looks like we'll be able to keep it going for years to come. So a big thank you to all of you and yeah, let's go ahead and get started. (laughs) All right. So uh, we had a handful of questions sent in. Um, They're kind of all around there. And let's go ahead and start with one that's kind of specific to each one of you is if you have a ritual when it comes to uh, flying, either you're going out and you're flying for yourself or a ritual to get ready for a competition. Um. This can either just be a set of steps that you do every time just to make sure everything's like the same, or do you have like an emotional uh, superstitious thing that you have to do, you know, spin three circles and, and uh, say a happy thing or something like that before uh, you do a competition or a performance. So I will leave it up to whoever wants to go first, uh, just announce your name. So we, we know who's talking and yeah. Cricket cool. sound. Cricket sound. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I, I'm, I'm, I'm cold, by the way. Um, I guess I was a super, super superstitious flyer when and th- these were. I, I had a whole set of little things that I was doing during my competition days, um, and they were they were mostly around finding being calm, getting calm, uh, and 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 feeling confident, being centered. Um, I get on the field. I would, uh, whether I'm on the beach or on a, on a grass field, I would pluck some grass. I would throw it up, uh, see where the where the wind's going, coming from, and how how much wind there is, just to feel that a little bit better. Um, or 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 some some miscellaneous crap on the beach that that is light and will float. Uh, that gives me a good idea. Uh, I used to have a hat or a sweater extra in the field with me. Uh, I would find since I sometimes was was challenged by. Uh, uh, by the borders on on the field, I wanted to really know, especially in light wind situations, where my line is. So I would find the line and uh, throw a, uh, a sweater or a hat in front of me at that point, so that I knew what my stopping point was. I could not walk beyond my sweater because I would be disqualified. Um, the little things like that. And I had, in my later years, I'd say after 2009, 2008, 2009, something like that, I would have this thing where I'd come in the field, and I think Hunter Hunter will will remember this. I'd, I'd step in the field. I'd 
threw the kite in a in a in a wingtip uh, stab stand, and then I would walk around the kite while keeping the kite in a wingtip stab, and I would present myself to the judges. And it was both a a way of of saying, "Hey, I'm here. Look at me." And it was a way of of getting the attention immediately and and exude that confidence, and also just for myself to gain that confidence, like I'm ready. Um, so yeah, there were there were a couple of couple of things that I can remember uh, were my steps in in pretty much every competition, uh, and that that sort of followed through in demos as well. Yeah, nice. This is. Wadi, I, I've got a few few bits that I think fall in similar lines, like the boundaries thing that you mentioned. Um, it, like I, I've done that much more explicitly um, in indoor, where there's usually the boundaries are much more restrictive because you know you're in like a tight like indoor space. Um, but one of the benefits of that is that usually you're in like a gym with you know lines drawn on the floor. So usually I go and set the kite down where the just inside the boundary, walk back, and then see what line I'm standing on. So then I keep in mind, oh, okay, don't walk past this line, stay behind this line, um, and do that at each of the boundaries. And so like very similar to the outdoor bit. I've you know I've do a bit outdoors, but usually I don't know most of the time when I compete outdoors, they're like massive fields, so they're like not really um, that big of a concern. Um, but uh, I have done a similar presentation thing when you get to the judges. Uh, it's a little bit less for me about here I am and more of a basically I get into my place go center of window, fly out to the edge of the window, fly to the other edge of the window to kind of go, here's here's my space, right? So that way they know where my center is, where my top level is, like where my 100% is, especially for precision, where they're judging you based on, you know, how what based on percentages of the window, you need to show them the window so they know what, what the percentages are and where those are, right? So like, that's always an important one. Um, yeah, I, I don't really do superstitious things at all, um, but there's some, some, you know, way it's ways that I typically do stuff like, like indoor, the way that I, you know, grab my lines when I'm heading out, you know, like for a show or something, um, I'll have the kite all set up strings clear and then handles in one hand and kind of slowly kind of lasso the, I don't know, kind of loop the, the lines in my hand so that I know that when I toss it, it'll toss out clear. Um, cause that's, you know, so it's a big headache if you know if you go into a show and your lines are like messed up that's no good um you know so little things like that or even outdoor like my setup um especially on, on dual line don't use a ground stake like ever you know you go you know uh k2000 landing basically go nose down lines come out the tail like nose down belly down pointing into the wind lines coming out the back and then over the top, right? So that way, when you walk back with the lines, you can pull the kite over its nose and then you get upright, right? And so that's like, you can just set it there. It's in basically a dead launch, but with the lines coming around the back. So the kite's not going anywhere. If the wind picks up or whatever, you can string out, take your time. And when you're ready, just flip it over and you're good to go. And you can even fly into that. So like, I never, I hardly ever use a ground stake with dual line. Um, so like, that's a little thing. Um, my winder, that's another bit. I've lost many winders, but I have a habit now. Anytime I take off, take lines off the winder, I use the bungee and I go around my back, back my uh, belt loop at the back of my pants. And I put the, um, the bungee through that and then lock it back on to the winder like you would if you were just securing your lines. And I've never lost a winder since. So it's always just attached to my back, um, back belt loop. And I'll have maybe 
two or three winders on my back, <laughs> you know, at a festival and I've got a bunch of stuff out. Um, but yeah, little stuff like that. That's uh, kind of nice. Good thing. Mm -hmm. By the way, Spence, I, I love <clears throat> that, that tip. You taught me that in, uh, in August at, at Wissakif. And like, oh my God, I've been flying so long and I've never, I've, because I still got my hands or my, my line uh, locked into something that's in my side pocket. Just never thought about, about that back belt loop. Uh, that is, I think, that was a great tip. I really love yeah, that one. So out of the way and you never lose it. You, Correct, and you never hit it there. either with your, with your hands when you're flapping around. Um, hey. I'm Zach. Uh, I briefly wanted to address the, um, I guess, before you even get onto the field, I kind of, this is just, I think this stemmed because I was part of um, the Chicago Fire Kite team um, since early on. But I think even before that, I always made sure to wear shorts or pants that didn't have like any real pockets on the side or belt loops and or have anything in my pockets or on my body really at all besides just like you know a jacket but even I, I rarely even like to fly in like a hoodie or a jacket because there was extra fabric and it was really easy to get line caught on yourself um, and the last thing you want to do while you're demoing for people or flying near people on the beach or competing is to snag on something on your body when that could have been completely avoidable. So like before I even go anywhere, I make sure I'm like dressed appropriately for what I want to achieve. Um, but yeah, I don't know. So then when I actually go to the field, um, when I, when I go to fly, um, I just, when I, after I build the kite, when I go out to where I'm going to fly, I make sure all the, you know, the rods are in their fittings, tightly just double check my own my own work <laughs> um and just unwind the line from the kite i've never used a stake really unless it was somebody else's that i borrowed <laughs> um and yeah i never keep the the winder on me i always kind of toss it away from me um and i use like bright colored winders so it's easy to to locate them um and then yeah my lines notoriously have always been uneven um so i i launch just using uh, i also use sleeving for the ends i know we talked about people who don't like to use sleeving i like sleeving get off my back um, <laughs> but then so i just launch holding it like this and then like figure out which line's a little shorter or not and attach my handles accordingly with a little like spacer thing that I have on one handle, um, fly the length of the window done. You know, if I'm wearing a hat, I think I might have taken my hat off and scratched my head and put my hat back on. But I think, I don't know if that was like a thing that I intentionally did every time. Uh, might've just had an itchy head. Um, otherwise, yeah, I don't know if I really had any specific rituals that I did um, before competing or before doing the demo. Um, for me, they were kind of one of the same. I tried to treat any demonstration I was doing as a competition, um, take it seriously. Um, yeah, 
think that was that's about it when I'm done yeah wrap up the handles or walk the kite off um, but yeah I think that's that's about it and that goes for both dual line and quad line um, flying um, yeah <laughs> there you go okay I guess it's me next and I guess John will go after me um, I'm Devin Cobley Morrison um, I have none I don't really care um, See, different every time i really just like same i i mean I'm, I'm a professional classical musician like we're taught like you sit down it doesn't matter the circumstances you sit down you shut up and you do it hmm. <laughs> and like i don't think kiting should be taken that seriously like um i think uh, i mean when i was a kid zach was actually the first one that busted me on how horribly uneven my lines were they're it's so really, uneven. It's, it's really uneven. it's really common for me to fly a demo. They're better now. On, by the way. They're better now, but it's common for me to fly a demo on lines that are six inches off just because I want to test how well I can control a kite. That's crazy. Or eight inches or whatever. Like I'll go out every time I go fly, I'll go out in 50 mile an hour winds with a hundred pound line and a heavy pulling kite and see what I can do to not break those lines. Like and it's just, you get what you get. It's, I'll like just grab something in my winder bag, grab a kite. It doesn't matter. I don't necessarily have anything. Like if you put to kite, the kite together well, when it's built, you don't have to check it. So I don't check it. Um, like I always make sure that it's built well, unless it's a prototype and shit's falling everywhere. <laughs> um, but like, yeah. which is, Thing. Current situation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sandoff flew off a couple of days ago. Um, yeah, but it just, I kind of just do it. Like it, I know that's the worst thing to say, but like I've spent so long just being like, I'm just going to pull whatever out and fly because I don't think a demonstration on a field should be any different than practicing in front of someone. I think they should all be treated the same. So whether that means bringing down the demo or bringing up flying for people, whatever that is for you, I think they're all the same. So I don't really have anything. If someone's talking like, like Zach's mom does a lot of like announcing in the Midwest, if she's giving like a bio and say Zach's not at an event and I have to fly like hardcore ballet or whatever, I won't fly tricks. But if she introduces me as like the trick flyer and I know that's coming, I'll go up and like throw a cascade and land. But I usually don't like test anything. Um, the second I launch, I think like, okay, like that's the pressure, maintain it at all sides of the window that takes care of speed control, boom, done. Like, I guess you could say my ritual is simplifying things to an extreme and making do with what you have. All right, hey. Could I, could I just say, <laughs> could I, could, oh, sorry. I would say I'm on the, the very less serious side of that as well. You know, beyond making sure my kites assembled properly and the lines are in the right hand, I'm gonna go at it. Beyond that, I I pretty well wing it. So <laughs> you know, lines in the proper hand, kite assembled, music's going, I'm going. That's about all I've got. You know, I don't have the competitive background. Don't have having a you know a long extensive demo background as as some of the other contributors 
So, you know, my competitive background is organized sports and all of my superstitions and all of that has uh, thankfully stayed there. Um, so, you know, kite flying for me is, is a release and a fun time. So the less serious it is for me, the better. So if it's assembled properly, my lines are in the proper hand and the music's going, then, you know, kite's in the air and, and I'm going hopefully not making a fool of myself. And if I am, <laughs> all right, Zach, you wanted to throw something in there. I did. Um, hi, Zach. this is Zach. Um, but I mean, you can edit this out if you want to, because um, it's kind of going off of what something Devin said. And I know we're in the middle of a ritual discussion. Um, but I did want to just call back to something that you said about how demos to you are treated the same as like flying just by yourself or practicing or, you know, so either dumb down the demo or bring up the practice or vice versa. Um, I just kind of wanted to bring another idea to that. I, I feel like, at least for me, when I'm practicing, I'm going out there with a specific goal in mind to perfect this, the thing that I'm going to try to do for the demonstration or the competition. And if I'm going to do a demo in front of people at some organized event, um, what, you know, very different than going to the beach and flying and their people happen to be around. Um, but if I'm at an event, I try to take the demo almost maybe more seriously than a competition because I'm like representing the sport to people that don't know what is going on or, or what they're looking at, or maybe this is the first time that they're seeing it. So like, I try to take it really seriously to give off the best foot that you can. Um, Cause maybe this is the first time that they're seeing it. I don't know. I just think practice is like in a way it's own like little private time, you know, where you make a lot of mistakes and you, you do the stuff in the routine that, you might not do in competition or in the demo because half the time you crash. So why am I going to do the thing? I mean, do you get what I'm saying? Like in practice, I'm going to do all the crazy stuff in the competition. I might do half the crazy stuff because that's the stuff that I'm confident in. And the same, I would do that stuff in the demo because I don't want to spend 30 seconds on the ground trying to get rid of a wingtip because that's not fun to watch for a spectator. Moderate, moderator. Devin's laughing as if he's had to undo a lot of wingtip wraps in the middle of competition. No, <laughs> they're usually John's, but we we flew a tip wrap monster today, showing I, I took John through kiting history. I'm not going to mention the kite's name. The second he said undoing a wing wrap, I got like flashbacks of the field of just being a mess with this kite. But, <laughs> 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 All right, uh, Hunter, do you have any rituals you have for, for flying? No, I, I really don't. Not not much. But then I, I try to think about, like, dumbing down that a bit. Like, I think immediately it got taken to, hey, are there any, like, rituals you do before competition or demo or anything like that? Um, for me, I mean, there are certain uh, things that I do before flying. Um, uh, like, say, if I'm going out to fly quad, I mean, one thing I do is just, 
when I'm getting ready to roll out my lines or let out my lines, like I don't let the ends of my lines dangle. I mean, little, little things like that, that I think we all probably do when it comes to like, you figured out how to be efficient with your process of how you put out a kite or how you fly. Um, you know, I immediately grab the ends of my lines and I lay them on the ground. I don't let them dangle around, get tangled. Same when I'm rolling it up. I don't, when I'm rolling up and get near the ends, I don't let, I don't pick up the ends off the ground and let them fling around in the wind. You know, I, I, I move my body down to them on the ground, um, to keep them from tangling up, things like that. Um, I mean, that'd probably be the most extent or the, or the closest I have to a ritual or something like that. But I guess maybe the question I have for anyone on here though, um, I mean, Devin, you mentioned you're out, you know, testing, testing the kites today or, but anyone on here, if you're picking up a new kite, dual line or quad line, I guess, but picking up a new kite for the first time or taking the handles from someone uh, you've never flown a kite before. Is there anything in particular that you would typically do with a kite to get to know it quickly? Um, maybe a ritual like, Hey, I always immediately fly it to the top of the window or fly you know, each edge, see how far it goes. I want to feel the pressure. I want to feel the speed. I want to see how it turns or stalls. I mean, anything in that regard that you typically do to get to know a kite. Go Devin. I find I usually you can figure this out by watching. Um, but let's say you just like you order a kite and you're by yourself on the field. The first thing I'll do is do a double ollie and I'll figure out where the access point is, where it's rotating. And that's all the information I need. What is a double ollie? Uh, some, the, I'll, I'll use the favorite word, the, the dinosaurs. We'll call it a rever double reverse coin toss. Oh my God! Come on. <laughs> what? What is, what is, what is, what is it? Your, how do you? How do you? How do you do it? Yeah, let's talk about that right now. <laughs> say, say you're on your right wing, and instead of doing a coin toss where the left wing comes over the right, the left wing falls a little bit, and the right wing comes over the left. So the lower the lower wing is being axled. Yes, like a like a slot machine from the ground. No. It's an axle. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, it's cool, a straight cool. up axle from the tip going counter. Yeah. Oh. And what I refer to as an axis point is like the point, like the middle point of a kite. Like, for example, like the crux we released has a diamond around the center T. Every part of the kite rotates around that diamond. That's a visual cue of like what we call an axis point. The points of rotation are there. If I can figure out where that point of rotation is like that middle section of the kite based off of that move assuming it's not like 20 mile an hour winds and the trick is possible that's all i need to know the rest of it takes care of itself because i use that single point on the kite and go okay that's where everything's moving around and i watch that and nothing else i don't watch the nose don't watch the tail the middle of the kite that it's rotating around boom done that's how i test kite prototypes different story but you know how it goes. Um, I'm Zach. Typically, I'll just launch the kite, try and fly straight, <laughs> um, and do do some hard corners to see how precise it is. I'm not really worried about the access point quite yet. Um, for me, I'll do that. Maybe a half axle if I'm feeling ballsy um and uh try and do like a two-point landing but i can kind of get like the personality of the kite 
based on like how precise it is or can be, how easy it is to do a very simple trick and how easy it is to control and knock the, the wind out of it by doing a snap two-point landing. Uh, Wadi as our, our lone quad line or predominant quad line flyer right now. <laughs> do you have uh, anything you do to kind of feel out quad line kites when you pick them up? Uh, I mean, the uh, launch it was the first <laughs> hit, right? <laughs> but I, but the, like, the first thing, you know, the first thing to start out with the quad line is the general handle tuning, you know, like, isn't something, which isn't something you'd have in dual line as much. It's like, how is this kite set up? Do I have enough forward? Do I have too much forward? Like, is it set up in a reasonable place? And do I want to take the time to change it? Um, you know, cause like sometimes we all pick up someone else's kite and it's like, okay, I'm not going to fuss with it. I'm just going to like use their settings and just like make it work. Um, but if it's a kite that I've set up, you know, different quad lines have different bridle setups, which might have different differentials between the top and bottom lines. And so the setup on your handles might be different. Um, so that's always something to kind of be aware of when swap swapping between them. Next part is looking for straight lines. How does it load? Um, you know, like if a kite is too much forward, it'll spill air out the trailing edge. It'll get that buzzing sound. You want it to be nice and full. Um, some kites will, will start to load more to where the leading edge bends more, and then it won't fly a straight line as much. Um, and so, you know, like the extreme example of that is like the Mojo has like, yeah. like a full on curve leading edge. And so it's like really, really wobbly. Um, and, and then on the other, other side, you have like the old Rev 1.5 SLE with the half inch, um, like, or three, what was it? Three quarter inch or something. I don't know, it was a really thick ass, like leading edge. And it was so stiff. It couldn't load like at all because the leading edge wouldn't wouldn't flex so your belly wouldn't wouldn't billow out and you just like had very little pressure and um and yeah very much very little to go off of um so those are kind of the, the first bits it's just you can get all of that pretty quickly from a launch and, and a bit of turning and you start it start to feel that um next bit is is probably reverse um you'll start to feel this a lot more getting into vented kites especially like like the extra vents like the really heavily vented ones reverse really nicely <laughs> they just like don't want to flip over as much when you're reversing them they feel real smooth um and so that's that's really nice um but zach did you had a you had a thought on that yeah i was just gonna say i feel like with quad flying as opposed to dual line flying dual line flying you're like learning the kite or figuring out the kite and with quad line flying you're almost like figuring out the person who the kite belongs to like how they have everything set up because a lot of quads i mean you know within its specific brand fly similarly or you can make them fly similarly by adjusting the settings um, but when you pick up someone else's that's not tuned to the way that you like it it's like you're trying to figure out their thought process instead of how the kites fly. Yeah, that's a really good point. And like an anecdote of that is, you know, back when uh, I was flying with iQuad a lot, um, you could go through the whole set of iQuad steam kites, right? You could go kite to kite to kite. They're identical kites with just different colors, all made at the same time, made by the same person, you know, but you go kite by kite by kite, each one feels different because it, you know john sets his up a particular way and it breaks in and like kind of stretches in the way that matches you know how he flies 
same with Steve is different. Baz is different. Monkey's different. Like for every person, the way maybe where the stress is, is on the sale kind of changes the way the sale stretches a little bit when it breaks in. And then overall your settings, it's all, yeah, it is very particular person to person, um, which can be a bit of a challenge, like, especially with like two kite flying, trying to fly two at once to like, maybe just move, just moving kites. Like I've done that before. Water's coming up. We just got to get these kites out of here. So just pick up these kites and move them two at a time. Um, and that can be really weird because then they'll be like, oh, these two kites are like really different. <laughs> so like my two hands have to like compensate in this. It's weird. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, but there are some, some significant differences in some of the some of the quad line uh, brands, like um, like for example, um, the Detox feels quite a bit different um, from like the regular Rev. It has just a, a much wider feel to it generally. Um, and you get to some weird ones, you know, like uh, the Fulcrum feels really different. Um, that one's really cool. You get into like the uh, the the Back Tracker. That one feels so weird. It's like that's that's an old. Oh yeah, John's confused on that one. Cool. Yeah, that's like yeah, it's a really old um, revolution discontinued uh, product. It was, yeah, it was it was a uh, it was Rev's <laughs> Rev's attempt at making an entry level Rev. Uh, it was yeah. like smaller, longer verticals, and yeah, the weird like, aspect ratio. If you tried yeah. to like walk it, it like looked like a fat guy waddling down this down the road because it was like just this weird dimensions to it. Just had like the wrong aspect ratio. Um, but yeah, like some of these cards, it just. All, you know, the width and the height, and then also the placement of the bridle, the width of the bridle attachment points um, makes a big difference. And, and how connected the top and the bottom are um, can make a big difference in how extreme you can go with that pitch. Um, like a three-wind bridle feels a lot different from a rev bridle or John's, uh, what's it called, a sink bridle. Um, they all, they feel quite a bit different. Um, so those are kind of, kind of interesting. Hunter, what do you do to test out a new kite? No, I mean, I think it's similar if we're talking dual line. Um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, launching it and, yeah, trying to get a sense of, I guess, the amount of pressure that, that it's got, you know, kind of um, how, how that bridle is set, you know, to um, how much forward drive it has in it. Um, you know, test how easy it'll stall. Um, you know, test a, a, an axle probably to start out with. Um, that kind of thing. For, for quad, it's the same thing as what Wadi said. I mean, it's launch and it kind of see what your, your forward drive is like um, and, and tuning it. And Zach, I, I, I think exactly where you, I thought where you're going to go with this. And I, it just rang true to me was you made the comment about like uh, when you pick up a dual line, you're kind of like trying to get to know that kite. But when you pick up a quad line where I thought you were going with it, it's still very, really similar though, is you're, you're picking it up and figuring out how do I tune this to be the kite I want it to be. Um, I mean, yeah, I basically like I asked the flyer, I'm like, hey, can I change your settings real yeah, quick? Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'll change it back when I'm done. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. But it's like when you pick up, a, yeah, when you pick up a new quad, it's like, all right, let me tune this to have to be the way I want it to be, you know, um, so it's different. But yeah, that'd be my answer. Paul? Oh, me too, huh? <laughs> um, yeah, mo more along the lines of Zach and Hunter and less along the line of, of Devin, I think. <laughs> I will not pick a stranger's kite with a super exotic, beautiful frame in there and start ripping off uh, uh, reverse wingtip axles right over the ground. Uh, I, I just can't do it, right? It's, it's, 
um, so yeah, just just fly the thing, see see how it feels to me, see where what I need to what, which which part of my arm I need to use to make the steering inputs. Is this a shoulder, an elbow, a wrist type kite? Um, regardless of what I prefer, I still need to learn what the kite prefers and how, how the kite can perform best. So um, I will normally I'm 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 all for walking and running forward, backwards, sideways. Uh, initially, when when flying a new kite, I will try to be stationary for a bit, and um, then I can feel what it does when it has when it has little less pressure in the sail as, as opposed to more pressure in the sail, depending on where I'm at in the wind window. Um, so when I know that and the and the and the and the delta basically the the difference between forward speed or or, or pressure in the sail, I can start playing with that a little bit. So yeah, it's 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 a, the more conservative approach. It it does typically I will try a new kite of somebody and and I will have seen it already. So that will tell me a lot already. It was it's very rare for me to be surprised by a kite in hand after I've watched it for five to 10 minutes worth of flying. Um, I'm trying to think, there was a kite not too long ago and I'm gonna shoot myself in the foot if I can't think about it, that did surprise me, flew totally there. Oh, um, the shooter from our sky. I had an entirely different uh, notion of how it was going to fly than, than when I actually had it in my hands. So that was, that was an example of, of a kite that did surprise me, but that is, I think, uh, the exception to the rule to where I can normally tell what a kite's going to do and feel like for me. Moderator. Well, so just real quick, and this, this doesn't need to be for now necessarily, but Paul, you said something I think would be a great topic for uh, a discussion at some point about trying to figure out if a kite, where you need to fly the kite from on your arm, shoulder, elbow, wrist. I think that'd be a really interesting conversation to hear you explain that. Doesn't have to be done now, but just thought. Absolutely. <laughs> We're going to add that to the, the list of topics for beginners and, and for intermediates to refine their flying. Yes, the whole bicycle versus bike, or yeah, bike handlebars versus drawing a car, or driving a car. All right. Okay, have, so um, go ahead. I have one other kind of ritual or type thing that I, I had thought of during this conversation, which was mm -hmm. um, mostly applies to, to being at festivals um, and largely smaller festivals where your flight space is limited um, is that I don't leave kites set up. Um, like by set up, I mean lines strung out ever, right? You, you have the kite, you have lines wound up attached to the kite. When it's my turn to go out, I set the kite up right before, like while the person before me is performing, I'm stringing out, making sure everything's good. And then up and fly when it's done, land it, wrap it up, get out. Because <laughs> like the worst thing is lines being all over the place, right? Um, and this is really easy in dual line, right? Because that's normally how you wind up anyway. If you're doing like a stakeless method, right? Where you're doing those in and all that, then you're winding up to the kite and then you can just pick up and walk out. Quad line, you can do it the same way. You just land it straight down, pile some sand on the, uh, on the leading edge, lay it back. And then <clears throat> usually call it a Red Bull wind, but this is how I wind normally anyway. I just basically wind from the handles to the kite, all of that on the winder. Um, and it's like really easy, gets me up out of the way. I'm in and out in, you know, a minute on each side, if anything. Um, and we'll even do that as the, uh, <clears throat> like as a whole team. Yeah, it can actually be really cool because we'll actually unwind. Sometimes if you're tied, if you're really tight on space, you can unwind ahead of time, but unwind your lines kind of in an S where you're kind of keeping it loose. You're not unwinding straight out. You kind of S curve it back and forth to kind of compress space. And then when it's your turn, 
you just walk. You just walk out, lines will kind of pull behind you until you get taut and then you're good to go. Um, so if you're really tight on space, you don't want to invade the perfect person who's performing space by unwinding, then you can just kind of keep it all compressed um, and then walk out. And that was always really cool as a team too, because we would do that. And then when it's our turn, you know, all four or six of us just walk out shoulder to shoulder, just walking out and here we go, we're good to go. And it's like, so pro, <laughs> it's like, you know, just in and out, super clean. Um, so that's a really big one for me. And yeah, and as you guys were kind of mentioning a little bit in chat and on your faces is that it's something that I wish a lot more quadfires especially did. Um, Cause dual lines are, dual lines can do this too, where sometimes they sit out there, but at least their lines sit flat. Like they just kind of sit slack, but quads tend to anchor it down with a stake. And you got those bottom lines going right up, you know, in the air, easy to trip over, total problem. Um, so yeah, especially on a Thai festival, yeah, I get really annoyed by people having their their stuff laid out all day long when they're not even using it. You know, maybe if you're going to be up next or you're going to be up in a couple, then sure. But like, nah, keep your stuff away. Just keep it wrapped up. Keep it clean. Keeps your yeah. stuff from getting damaged. Keeps other people from tripping over it and hurting themselves. Um, gives everyone space to be able to perform and do their best. Yeah, get your stuff out of the way. Yeah, not just from a tripping hazard, but I've also seen it from... Uh... I've seen more quad lines either get inadvertently damaged or launched because some you're in a tight festival space and the wind shifts just enough and either the kites aren't set up perfectly right or the person that's flying lands and snags one of those lines with the wingtip. And now that thing is flying and death spiraling. And I we watched it. I think it was you and I watched it. It punched holes through. Was it your kite? That was laying flat on the ground. Maybe that's happened. Monkey's done yeah. that to one of mine. <laughs> at, at Lincoln City, someone set up quad, launched, and then like death spiraled and just kept, and then it kept punching into the ground and it was punching a kite that was stowed nicely. Yeah, Lincoln City's notorious for that. It's such a tiny, tiny area to fly in. Yep. And you get lots of, you know, lots of quad people there. Um, and it, it becomes a problem where they've tried to, you know, tried to get people to, to wrap their stuff up. Um, yeah. and then the best example I can think of is, um, Southern Oregon Kite Festival in, uh, in Brookings was yeah. always really great at this because that one was invite only, like they only brought people that they knew that they knew were good. Um, and it was very tiny space, um, and like no wind. So, um, <laughs> but everyone there, yeah, you're. It was really rigorous on setting up, taking down, getting out of the way, and then we go and we jump around and help other people and stuff like that. And that that was, yeah, always a perfect example of keeping the keeping the field clear and taking care of your stuff. Yep. Thanks for saying that, Spence, especially as a as a uh, a big name in Quadland, which I'm not, right? Um, so I'm the bitchy dual line flyer. If I bring that up. I really think that 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 demo quad line flyers or even even in the practice field, if you're going to be yapping or having lunch or whatever, just pack up your stuff. It's it's really that simple. Uh, you're you're no longer a nuisance to other people and your stuff is safe. And I, I never really a liability too. Uh, if somebody trips over the stuff that you've left behind, truly. It, there has got to be that has got to be somehow your responsibility if you left your kite there for somebody else to trip over over the lines. Yeah, I just was going to add to this whole conversation that I completely agree um, for both. I mean, everybody should be wrapping up their 
their lines, especially on a small field. Or, you know, like if you're out at a field by yourself practicing and you go have a sandwich and you roll up your lines, you don't know if there's going to be a dog running out in the park yeah. or a kid or something. There's been countless times where I've tripped over my own lines while I'm, you know, unwrapping or whatever. And it's really easy to cut yourself. Like I've been like almost beheaded because my brother and I did some stupid road, like counter rotating 360 when we were kids and didn't know how to actually do it. And I got clotheslined and a huge line a gash across my face is really dangerous. Um, it, it is a liability and, and it takes like 30 seconds if you're slow you know, to wrap up your lines and, and protect your own assets, you know, your, your gear, it's going to make it last longer and it's going to, and it's clearing the space for other flyers and protecting yourself from injuring someone else. I don't know. It was always something that confused me. Yeah. I, I do give a little bit more, I guess, space and acceptance and time to people who are setting up stacks, right? Like, I agree. Like the wind jammers, for example, those guys have like, I don't know, 15, what yeah. a decent amount of, of kites to, to bring out. But as soon as they're done, they're not leaving their stuff out. They set it up over the course of a demo or two where typically you'd have someone preceding them that knows what they're doing, that can watch out for them while they're setting up. You right. Know, when they'll set up their stuff, they'll go fly. They'll land and they wrap immediately. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. They're not leaving it out for, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes or even a whole day, but it is going to take them longer to set up or to take down than say someone just flying a single kite. So and like, I'll do the same when I'm, when I'm flying two at once, you know, I'll set up one and then set up the other because trying to string out lines for two kites at, at one time is a pain in the ass. So I'll set up one and the other and, you know, and I got to get it all strung out. It's going to take up a bit more of a space, but you know, Hey, I got to do this thing in school. So I'm going to do it. You know, same thing with stacks. They take longer to set up and they just take longer to take down. And that's just the way it is. And if I'm going to do a demo with a stack and then I know I'm going to do a demo three demos later with a stack or something, just leave that shit up. Like, you know, like there's, there's those moments or same with a dog steak is another one. I got to drill this steak into the sand and it's like, what, am I going to move it? Like when I'm going to use it again? And like, you know, um, so that can be another one, but even with the dog steak, I've set that up in like some little side fields and I'll still, I'll wind up all the lines in the dog steak. So I'll basically pull the kite all the way up to the dog steak and then wind up all the way to the dog steak. So then at least it's all like centralized right there. Um, mm -hmm. And so, and it makes the dog stick more visible so no one trips over it. Um, but it, you know, the lines being strung out of it, the biggest thing it is spectators walk through and, you know, dogs can trip over that stuff and can cut their, their feet and stuff. And yeah, so there's caveats, but whatever I can try to try to keep the beach clean. All right. So I hope you enjoyed that episode where we discussed kind of rituals for getting prepared to fly and touch base on a handful of other things and rounded it up with one of the best pieces of advice out there that if you are a new flyer, this is a habit you should establish right off the bat and it will make you look like a pro. And that is to wrap up your stuff if you're not flying it. Um, you know, with some caveats, but just do your best to keep the beach clean. If you're a pro, 
maybe look at how long you're leaving your stuff out and maybe it's a time for you to set the standard for new flyers to see and to grow into the sport. They see you being awesome and cleaning up the beach and making it fun for everyone. All right, enough preaching. Let's go ahead and close out this episode. I just wanted to say thank you for tuning in and listening. If you haven't given sportkite.org a follow on Facebook, go ahead and do that. Don't forget to hit like and subscribe to this podcast so you get new episodes delivered to your podcast streaming platform of choice and you can always go back and kind of dig through some of the old archives as we keep adding more and more episodes all right till next time bye